everyone and happy new year and welcome to another episode of the backseat directors podcast i'm the creator of this podcast and your host andre hutchins and what a year it has been but we survived we made it out of 2020 arguably one of the most challenging years for any of us um but we are here we made it it's a brand new year and we have a brand new episode for all of you if you are a first-time listener, I just want to thank you so much for joining us today. And for all of you wonderful long-time listeners, it's great to have you back. And it's great to be back in the director's chair. This is our first episode of 2021, and it has been a while. I think since September of 2020. Um, but during that time, and I just kind of want to give you guys some context on why I've been absent for the last few months. But my wife and I, we bought our first home. Uh, and so moving into the home, that literally sucked away any free time that I had. And uh, compound that with the holiday season and time was just in short supply for the De- Backseat Directors podcast. However, as we kick things into gear at the beginning of this new year, you can expect new regular episodes starting again in February. Until then, there are a few episodes that I recorded last year with two incredible people, just a couple interviews uh, from some filmmakers. And I will release those um, over the next few weeks uh, throughout the month of January. But for today, I want to welcome back uh, our regular co-host, Ryan Nevin, who is the founder and editor of the Life of Films movie blog. And we will also be joined by returning guest, Brian Ray. Brian is the co-founder and one of the moderators of the DR Movie News Twitter account. Today, we will be discussing and reviewing the long-anticipated Wonder Woman 1984 Listeners, be warned, our review today will be spoiler-filled, so if you've not seen Wonder Woman 1984 yet and you want to avoid spoilers, just go ahead and click pause on this podcast, go watch the movie, then come back and join in on our discussion. So, thank you everyone for your long-continued support. It means the world to us. All of this work we put into the podcast, we do for our love of movies, and we do it for you. If you'd like more Backseat Directors content, go check out our website at BackseatDirectors.com where you will find tons of movie reviews and other articles written by our incredible team of Backseat Directors writers. And now, without further ado, Rye and Brian. Well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Backseat Directors. Um, I am extremely, extremely excited and looking forward to the podcast that we are about to bring to you guys today. Of course, I've got my co-host, Ryan Nevin from Life of Films. Ryan, how you doing, man? Hey, dude. Good to be back. It's nice starting the year off with a fun topic. Yep. Happy New Year. Happy New Year over to you across yep. the pond. And then we have, for his second time on the Backseat Directors Podcast, and we'd like to make this a, a more reoccurring event, uh, but Brian from dr movie news on twitter brian how you doing man doing great can't wait to review 2020's finest motion picture (laughs) oh my goodness dude the movie that we're going to talk today it really was the icing on the cake that was the year 2020 wasn't it (laughs) (laughs) icing terrible icing they should have gone Well, gentlemen, uh, I, I'm really, really looking forward to talking to you guys. It has been a while since I've recorded a podcast on Backseat Directors. Um, I actually, there's there's a couple episodes that I recorded uh, back in October that I haven't released yet. So those are going to have to be like some bonus episodes. But um, um, yeah, no, uh, we, we're, we're finally in 2021. Uh, the hellish year that was 2020 is now over. 
Um, and and the, the movie that was the icing on the cake that we were just talking about is Wonder Woman 1984. So we're not going to waste any more time, but we are going to jump right into this movie. Um, I kind of want to build some background into this movie, though, because I think there's there's a lot of context that needs to be set for for this movie. Obviously, this movie, um, it, it's it's been delayed, I think, uh, almost by 18 months. I think the original release date for Wonder Woman 1984 was originally July 2019. Uh, then some reshoots were scheduled, and that release date was pushed to December 2019. And then... Um, I think there was a moment where they even moved it up a month. So it went from like December 2019 to November 2019. And then it was delayed again to June of 2020. But this was all before the COVID pandemic hit. This was back when life was normal. This is when restaurants were open. This is when wearing masks outside, uh, people would think you're you're, you're a, a, some type of loony. Uh, but now all that is normal. And I hate that it is. But anyway, that's besides the point. Um and then, it, yeah, it was delayed to June 2020. COVID hit. I, they tried to keep the release date the same. Then it was pushed to August. Then it was pushed to September. And then they said December. And then all of a sudden from December, it was going to get a theatrical release. Warner Brothers announced this massive decision to not only release Wonder Woman 1984 simultaneously in theaters along with their new streaming service, HBO Max, but also their entire 2021 lineup was going to get the same treatment. So a simultaneous release in theaters where theaters are open along with HBO Max. So um, and that's something we might touch on toward the end because it sounds like uh, they're getting some pushback from some of the producers of those movies that are going to get that simultaneously released. But so Wonder Woman 1984 was released uh, Christmas Day, at least here. I th- right. I know you got to see it a little bit early uh, in the UK because HBO Max does not exist in the UK. Um, when, when did you get to see it? What was what was that about two weeks before Christmas? Yeah, so I saw it at uh, the cinema. So there's some some cinemas still open around the UK. So I managed to to get to one of those. Um, so yeah, so I got the, the actual the full full experience of this amazing film, which was uh, which was exciting to go into it, but um, a bit obviously as we get into it, a bit disappointing coming out of it. But yeah. uh, no, it was it was nice to finally be back in the uh, in the cinema. Well, then Brian and I, for those of us in the United States, we had to wait until Christmas Day uh, if you have an HBO Max service, which I, I watched it on HBO Max. I'm assuming, Brian, you did the same thing. I did the same thing. Yep. So Chris, it was uh, Christmas night is when uh, I sat down with my family and we watched it. And uh, um, I going into this movie, um, I remember watching the first trailer that came out, gosh, it seems like forever ago, and feeling a level of of positive anticipation. I I thought the trailer itself looked interesting. I thought, uh, it provided some, some good, um, some good ideas of what a wonder woman movie would be post the 2017 film with new characters, etc. Um, but then I don't know if you guys remember this Warner brothers released a clip, a clip of the movie, that was the mall scene uh, toward the beginning of Wonder Woman 1984. And I remember watching this clip and just thinking, oh, no. Oh, no. Did you guys see that clip before you guys saw the movie? The, the clip that I saw before was the one of her running. And it was like the Raiders of the Lost Ark scene. And that's when I was like, yo, yeah, this the CGI does not look good at all yeah yeah what what about you ray 
No, I try to, but I'm really, really looking forward to film. I like, well, I watch the trailers, but when they do like little, um, like previews, little like 30 second snips or whatever they release, I try to avoid those. I like to try and go in kind of blank. So, so no, I, I knew that it was out, but I didn't watch it. Okay. Well, so you had definitely a much more fresh uh, perspective on the film going into it than, than I did at least because yeah, I, I I was uh, I was worried. I was definitely worried by the time I sat down and watched the movie. Um, but it, it almost feels like it was ages ago that the first Wonder Woman movie came out. I mean, it was three and a half years ago that that you know Patty Jenkins was able to show her her film to the world. And um, Wonder Woman, the 2017 film, was universally loved by both audiences and critics. It, it's it, I think it's it's one of the few, if not I, maybe Shazam is the only other movie that ha, in the DCEU that had at least above an 80% from both critics and audiences. And so this is kind of it was rarefied error for the DC franchise, the movie franchise. And uh and and I think I think most people who enjoyed Wonder Woman was they were looking forward to this film and, and the fact that Patty Jenkins was going to come back and, and direct this movie. I think uh, most people were optimistic, but, uh, um, but then, uh, then we sat down and watched the movie. So why don't you guys tell me your first impression of the movie, right? I know you were texting me after you got out of the movie. So I'm going to let Brian start and drive Then we'll go to you. So uh, just kind of give me uh, your overall impression, what, what you were thinking when the movie ended. And uh, yeah, we'll just go from there. Well, let me preference with, this movie, this movie watching experience wasn't in fact an experience in itself because we get up in the morning, have Christmas. We're like, Oh yeah. Wonder woman's out. You know, we turn it on and within 30 minutes, my dad goes, yeah, this is awful. We're turning it off right now. <laughs> and honestly, I didn't blame him. I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Let's watch something else. I think we, we turned on Fletch or something. <laughs> <laughs> So it wasn't until later that night I went over to my grandparents' house with like the big family and we all, my aunts and uncles, they really wanted to see it. We were wanting to go see it in theaters, but completely sold out. And so we turned it on and I was like, yeah, I was just warning them. I'm like, yeah, my dad turned it off like 30 minutes in and they're like, oh, it's got to be better than that. We get through it, get to the end. And by the time, are we getting into spoilers already? Okay, so I, I and I will have already prefaced this in the opening intro to the podcast, but this is going to be a spoiler-filled episode and review of Wonder Woman 80, 1984. So, listeners, if you guys have not watched the movie and you want to avoid spoilers, just push pause, go watch the movie, and come back. But yes, this will be spoiler-filled. Brian, go ahead. Once Maxwell Lord becomes The Rock... And he starts granting everybody wishes, and the world just goes to hell, basically. My uncle turns to me, he's like, this is the most low-budget-looking movie since, like, Batman and Robin. And I was like, like, I was in shock by how bad it was getting and how long it was. Oh, my gosh. It was a painful watch. Yeah, so that was my full experience of watching it. What's cool about watching on HBO Max is, like, you know, it was kind of fun watching it because we we were all just bashing it as it was going, <laughs> like a bash fest among the whole family. All the cousins, my grandparents are watching it. it was, <laughs> yeah, it was I'm, sure, I'm sure that I'm sure that's what Warner Brothers had intended when they uh, released it on HBO Max. 
Well, yeah, overall, I was I was just pretty shocked overall by how bad it was. And and I noticed that Patty Jenkins didn't write the first one. It was uh, uh, did Jeff Johns write the first one? Nope. So um, and we'll get into this as well. So the, the story was co-written. Well, there were three three attributing credits to the writing of the first story, and that was Zack Snyder um, Alan Heinberg, who is a DC comic book writer on the reboot of Wonder Woman after Infi- uh, Infinite Crisis. So he obviously knows the character. And then uh, Jason Fush, Fush. I don't know how to say his last name, but uh, um, but but none of those writers were brought back for Wonder Woman 1984. The story credits for Wonder Woman 1984 go to both Patty Jenkins and Jeff Johns. Hmm. Yeah, I I think she should uh, I she should stick to directing <laughs> because writing was my biggest issue with this movie easily. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things that I think in in retrospect you can forgive the movie for, but gosh, yeah, the writing the writing seems unforgivable. It really does. Uh and we'll get into that as well. Okay, right, tell me your impression. You got to you're the only one here in this group that got to see it in theaters. Uh were there a lot of people there? What was kind of the overall vibe? Uh, no, and then what it, did you think? It was uh, no, it was kind of it was kind of empty in terms of the cinema. There wasn't many people there. Um the film I'd seen before that was Tenet and that was like filled. Um, even with like it's still kind of being height of pandemic, people didn't seem to really care too much. But for this, it was um, it was fairly quite quiet. So, so obviously people weren't too interested um, in making that trip. But the overall experience for me, the CGI wasn't something that highlighted at me too much. So maybe it was something that was a bit different that you could see being being in a bit more of an intimate environment in the um, at home. I think I've said, heard a lot of people moan about it where. When I saw it on the big screen, it wasn't anything that, that smashed out to me like, oh, my God, this is like really bad. I wasn't like blown away and thinking it was awesome, like stuff you'd get from like James Cameron or whatever. But it it, it felt for me very much just like your traditional superhero um, blockbuster CGI Transformers kind of stuff. But yeah, so from that front, it didn't it didn't blow away. So that might have been a part of it being the cinema experience. Um but overall, it wasn't anything that really blew me away in in sense of the cinema enhanced it or decreased it. It was just a very bog standard um, experience on that front. So, but like I say, it was just good to be back. What got me the most was the general was was this was the story and and for me the the acting. Um, I felt that's where I got very disappointed. Um, it was the acting was very cheesy, um, and the story was very um, incoherent. Um, to what's become before and what um, it didn't make sense and what's apparently to come after within the story timeline um, and then just overall it actually making any real sense within the within the beginning to end of the, of the picture so there was a lot there that I was very disappointed by so Andre I know obviously we spoke about it before and you told me you'd watch that scene and you were very um, worried about the like the opening scene of where you actually see Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman um and watching that you were just in my head and it was like i could just watching it i was like oh god this is i know exactly what he means i know exactly what everything about it it was just and then it just continued on from there i think that scene was probably 
one of the spikes in terms of its its cheesy cringy moments i think it 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 dabbled out a little bit um and then come back and then doubled out a bit but overall it was it was a very disappointing experience for me and and this is coming from someone who really enjoyed the one first wonder woman film and it's not uh a dc hater or a not interested in women superheroes, blah, 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 all that stuff. I was a very big fan of it, and I was really looking forward to this. This was in my top films of this year to go see. I think uh, Gal Gadot is, is done really well at owning the character, and I think she's she's brilliant. Um, so this is coming from someone who's generally excited and, and probably would have actually had a bias towards still liking the film, even if it was kind of bad, because I like a lot of parts of it um, that's, <laughs> that's external to it, but it just sadly that, that didn't save it for me. Yeah. So my my experience was this. So uh, my wife and I, we drove to Nevada where I grew up. My parents still live there and we spent Christmas with them. Um, my parents just redid, uh, remodeled part of their house and they put in a movie room. And so I was pretty stoked to uh, go watch Wonder Woman in my parents' new movie room and kind of have kind of that cool experience, you know, because I knew we weren't going to go see it in theaters. And so... Um, um, you know, all of my siblings and some of their spouses, you know, they, they were there with us and we were all just like looking forward to watching this movie. So in, in spite, in spite of what I'd seen before, I was still hopeful, uh, just because I think I, my confidence was not necessarily in Warner brothers, but it was in Patty Jenkins. And, and maybe that was just, uh, some of my, uh, naivety coming out because uh, I I think I had a lot of false hope in Patty Jenkins then and this kind of exposed a lot of uh, perhaps her weaknesses as a filmmaker um, and that is to say Brian what you already brought up you know she I think as a director it I, I still want to give her credit because of what she was able to do on Wonder Woman the first one the 2017 movie um, but she has credits on Wonder Woman 1984 for not only the story, but also the screenplay. And so where the story, I think, in a lot of the dialogue was just not good. Uh, it, it, it really just, it, it, it makes me doubt anything that she's going to do from now on. I'm just going to wonder, is it going to even be good? Like the announcement that she's going to direct that new Star Wars movie, Rogue Squadron or whatever that's called. I, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> well, is it a crapshoot now? You know, and so and I, and I hate I hate that that she had this misstep because Wonder Woman 1984 was was a massive misstep. And so, um, okay, let's go ahead and get into this movie. All right, so we're going to kind of break this movie down. Uh, you know, just based off of my memory and everything that I, I can recall from seeing this just a couple weeks ago. Um, let's let's go through this. Okay, so. Um, when the movie opens up, we get uh, what I thought, at least for me, was one of my favorite scenes in the movie. And that's we go back to Themyscira, a young Diana, um, and she's competing in some type of Olympic Games among uh, with adult competitors. And she's you know, anywhere from 10, 11 or 12 years old. Right. And this is uh, um, uh, it, it's going to test all of her physical and mental skills as. A demigod essentially and uh the scene the scene lasted a little bit longer than i was anticipating um but as as we work through the scene she ends up uh, she's about to win the race but she in order to get in first place toward the end she took a shortcut and her aunt um antiope she grabbed diana and stopped her from crossing the finish line and essentially 
gave her this lecture on why it is important that she does not take shortcuts in life or or at least in this moment does not take shortcuts and does not cheat in order to get what she wants right and so that i think maybe eventually is revisited later on in the movie but not in a way that you would think would be as meaningful as why they would even show this scene right now but what did you guys think of that opening scene back in the mascara Ry, why don't you go first i liked it um to an extent um, i'm always kind of a fan of when you have someone extraordinary put in a situation where they can show how extraordinary they are. And I liked the fact that obviously it was showing that she, even as a little girl, she was better than most of the people about everyone around her. And I, I like, I like stuff like that. I love it with all kind of extraordinary characters. And that's why I'm a big fan of the superhero genre. Um, so I, I kind of, I kind of liked that. Um, it was kind of clear as day though, that it was put in to kind of push a message that was going to somehow appear later on in the film it was it, it was very it was a bit too obvious that it was trying to push a very um apparent message but i i, I liked it i thought it was it was kind of cool i liked the olympical kind of side to it um i've always find it um pretty interesting famous scary kind of that whole vibe they've got going on there it was, it was all well done so for me it was actually a a kind of positive start to the film personally so i was, I was happy with that Yep, and as a flashback, you know, Antiope and Hippolyta are there, so we get to see Robin Wright. And um, uh, what's what's the actress's name that plays uh, Hippolyta? I forget her name. I forget her name. I can't um, remember. Oh, Connie Neil- Connie Nielsen. Connie Nielsen. Um, you know, and I was I was I was kind of hoping that we would maybe get more flashbacks throughout the movie. You know, because you're bringing back Connie Nielsen and Robin Wright to reprise these characters that they played in in the first wonder woman film but nope that was it so they got i think they got maybe maybe a minute and a half of screen time in the whole movie but okay brian what what do you think of that opening scene no i thought it was a good start too to the movie i i like going to the mascara i love those sequences in the first movie and i thought that hans zimmer's score was pretty freaking good in that opening scene and yeah like the message that uh, at the very end with her taking the shortcut and being stopped before she crosses the finish line. Like, I obviously thought that that was going to be like an overarching theme for the movie. And it kind of just seems like, yeah, this is a scene and here's a whole other movie (laughs) after it. It, Nothing nothing really felt cohesive at all after that. But I thought it was a fun scene. I thought it was a good start for the movie. I was hopeful for the rest of the movie once that once that started i thought the effects were like pretty good in that part uh yeah no it was it, it, it was it's it's pretty like it wasn't anything like i would say special though it didn't feel like something that i wouldn't like oh that was a great scene i was like oh this is a good start it's all right yeah 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 that that was that was my i had pretty much had the same impression on that i came across an article this week that said uh, interviewing Patty Jenkins, I don't know if you guys saw this, but she she admitted that Warner Brothers, and I'm assuming she's talking about the Themyscira scene because this is the very opening scene of the movie, but that Warner Brothers uh, wanted to remove that scene, that they, they were not... She didn't say specifically the Themyscira scene. She said the opening scene. And so... Um, but she fought to keep that in the movie. Apparently, they didn't want that in there. I think the, that scene was quite lengthy. 
you know, for a movie that is over two and a half hours long, that's including credits. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're, gosh, if if you're if you're gonna make a movie that's over two hours long, it better be a damn good movie, <laughs> like a really good movie, right? Um, okay, so then we uh, from there, then uh, we jump to 1984. Now we're back in the, I guess, one of the more iconic decades here in the United States and throughout the world. Something that's uh, kind of reemerged in pop culture. I think, uh, you know, uh, uh, Stranger Things really, really has brought the 80s kind of to the forefront of people's minds, you know, when they're thinking about entertainment or at least stuff being created now. And so, yeah, the 80s, I don't know. I think, I think. I think it's just been a popular thing within Hollywood to kind of revisit this decade and, you know, kind of all the new crazy things that were happening in the 80s. And, and, I, and I thought, you know, I thought that the 80s were going to play some type of significant part into the story of the movie, which it never seemed to, other than the costuming designs of the movie, you know, there wasn't really any type of 80 themed music, you know, the politics of the eighties other than, and we'll get into that. Okay. Maybe I'm jumping ahead, but, um, so we, we jump into the uh, 1984, uh, we see some, um, uh, criminals running into a mall, which malls, you know, that was the big thing back in the eighties. And, uh, they go into some jewelry store, which is a front for some type of black market antiquities trade. Also just some random jewelry store in the mall, steal some antiquities and then they are hindered escaping them all uh, when uh, Wonder Woman shows up. So then we get this whole scene of Wonder Woman uh, apprehending these thugs, saving a girl who's being dangled over uh, the ledge by one of the thugs who apparently, I guess, doesn't want to go back to prison. And so he's going to hold this kid, jo- kid over a ledge because he thinks that will keep him from going back to prison. Yeah. Um, so this scene, this scene was released online and this is the scene that really, really, uh, uh, yeah, started my doubts about the movie, but, um, yeah, let's, let's hear your thoughts about this scene, the execution of the scene, because I, I think universally for most people, this was a scene that was very cringe worthy. So Brian, why don't you go first? Well, before that, we, we, it shows a little montage of her just saving random people. Like, she kicks the car out of the way, and then she saves the bride that falls off with the lasso. And that's immediately, and I was like, oh, oh this, this is getting cringy already. <laughs> like, I, with it being 1984, I was expecting, like, 1984 songs. Like, like, some good music to be playing. Did they even play a song from 1984? No, no. So the only 1984 song that I remember from the movie was in the first trailer, and they played um, um, Blue Monday. Uh, Blue, Blue Monday. Yep. Yeah, it was like, like a really remix. Cool it was like a remix. Of it. Yeah, and it was yeah, cool. It was, it was like, cool, but awesome. that was the only 80s type of song that was in the movie. It was in the trailer. So, yeah. Yeah. But uh, when they get to the mall... And I just thought it, it, it was really goofy. And then he dangles the kid over. I was like, oh, my gosh, this has got this has took a dark turn. <laughs> and and it, it oh, my gosh, it just looked like everything looked green screen in that whole scene to me. I don't know. Maybe maybe it was this HBO Max, the 4K transfer. Maybe. I don't know. But uh, I just thought it was like rapidly cut together and overly goofy with that one guy getting thrown into like the circle thing and he's like going around in circles and flipping upside down i was like oh just it it just felt like such a tonal shift from the first scene that connects 
to the first movie, to the tone of the first movie, and then yep. it's just complete tonal shit. And I'm like, you've, yeah, yeah, I'm not a big fan of the first scene. Yeah, right. What do you, what are your thoughts of that that mall scene? Yeah, it was. I think goofy is a really, really good way to describe it. Everything about it, even when she like kicks that girl and she slides across the floor into that big like teddy and then she winks at her and you just like and it's just for me i think straight away I, you notice that she, that paddy is trying to do something that is is different and i'm all for doing different but not when it's not when it's like completely changing the character like we've seen different iterations of captain america for example through the marvel universe we've seen him go through a very depressing phase we've gone for like him from a very kind of starting out he's you see him in different areas and during those different periods you get different styles of those films but you still feel like you're watching the same character at least but with this it's like we went from seeing wonder woman in war who 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 felt how other people felt and used that and took and essentially took that out on the people that deserves to be taken out. And that scene in the in the battle when she completely her music's playing and she is just like destroying these soldiers with her sword, sword and shield, and she is not holding back and she is just going through them like they're, they're pieces of paper. And you're like, this is a cool superhero who you do not mess with. And then you get this scene and she's like not doing that. She's like prancing around a bit and just kind of flicking people and like which is actually flick people it's just like but she's not really there's no like wonder woman's wrath do you know what i mean that was kind of like the song and everything like, like in on the soundtrack of the last film it was like this was someone that you didn't want to face her wrath and in that scene you'd just be a little bit like she's a bit of a, a bit of a joke a bit yeah. kind of like you can't really take her too seriously like yeah she's saving these people and she's really strong so i wouldn't want to get in a fight with her but do i take this person seriously no, nah, not so much. And that's just for me. It was like for someone who enjoyed the first film so much about his character that you do take seriously, and now you've been given this. I, I'm not. I wasn't a fan. And I know there was a approach that they, she meant for it to be like that. She idolizes massively like Superman one and two and stuff. And there are very goofy scenes in that. But I think one that fitted the era. A lot of films were like that. That's how they were made. It fitted the era back with the Superman back then. You need to change if you if you want to pull inspiration from something that's fine, but it needs to fit a modern a modern world. You don't just completely do a like for like from something that happened thirty forty years ago because the times are different, the audience are different, and they absorb things in a different way. There's nothing wrong with taking inspiration, but you a like for like it's just not gonna it's just not gonna work well. And that's why I think for me, just straight away, I was like, this film is just not gonna sit well with me. Yeah, and she, she did a great job with that in the first one with the alleyway scene when she paid homage to the Clark Kent scene in the original Superman blocking the bullet. Like that was a very well done homage to the original Superman. Yes. And it felt like it belonged in the universe that they had set up. It felt like it continued. It still felt like while goofy and obviously not homage, it felt like it was in the universe that connected to Batman versus Superman when we first see Wonder Woman. And that was the biggest issue is that it just seems like Patty low-key didn't like Snyder's vision for and because she has writing credit she totally changed like you're not even supposed to see like Wonder Woman's supposed to be in the shadows doing stuff low-key she's in she's in public and doing stuff like as Diana in the broad movie. daylight like broad daylight like, there is no hiding whatsoever <laughs> no, no but you guys you guys nailed it right on the head because I think this is where 
this this is where the movie really lost people i think and from here on out i think everybody is kind of just on the edge just like wondering what it, what have i gotten myself into with this movie because the tonal shift is so drastically different from the first movie to this movie and it's not because the setting is different from world war 1 to 1984 it's because the way that the character has been portrayed in the setting or the 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 scene that the the filmmakers created to show to bring back Wonder Woman. I mean, this is supposed to be seventy years after we first see Wonder Woman, and it is nothing, nothing like the first movie from how it looks, from how it feels, from the vibes that it gives you. It's nothing like it. And so from here on out, I think this is this is really when I, the, the 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 train is derailed from here I, i'm in my honest opinion and and yeah like so on twitter she responded to a fan's question on whether or not this style was intentional and she said it was intentional and she did specifically reference the uh, richard donner superman movies that the, that she took inspiration from those movies but ryan i think right you nailed it man where I think you both, you guys both said this. If you're if you're looking to to honor those films from before you, you honor them ways like you said, Brian. You you put in little Easter eggs here or there that are kind of hints to like, I like these movies, but I'm not going to make the same movie. What she did is she tried to replicate the same movie, and for an audience in 2020 from a movie made in 1978, it's not the same thing, and it doesn't work, and and. Maybe had this been the first Wonder Woman movie, and this is the foundation upon which we are going to now judge the character, maybe, maybe people would have been more open. But it's so, it's so different from the first one. It's jarring. Like, it really is, like, shockingly different. So, um, okay, so let's let's go ahead and move on from there. As we get into the movie... Uh, Wonder Woman is seen. Uh, she's some type of curator at the museum. I, I I can't remember if they said specifically what museum it is. I know that it's in Washington D.C. Is it the Smithsonian? Did they say it's the Smithsonian? I can't remember who it was. I can't okay. remember. No, and that's fine. I don't know if it necessarily matters, but anyway, so she's working at at the museum, which kind of seems like that's what she was doing in Justice League, and so apparently she's been in the museum business for quite a while i'm not sure if that's if that's something people have started to wonder hey this diana prince lady she's not aging 50 years later and she's still working in the museum business but anyway in this setting is when we're introduced to Kristen wiggs character uh, barbara minerva who eventually will become cheetah barbara minerva her character is the trope of all comic book movie tropes she is the introverted nerdy type um unattractive socially awkward character that is reminiscent of jim carrey's joker and um wait say that again brian riddler yes i mean jim carrey oh jim Jim carrey's riddler yeah jim carrey's riddler and um yeah just and and even poison ivy i think poison ivy was portrayed that way in batman uh batman forever so it's just it's 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 an overplayed comic book movie trope. Why? Because now the downtrodden nerd who is socially awkward is going to have her revenge on the people that looked over her. Right. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, 
It's an overused, overplay trope, and it's kind of boring, to be honest. But this is Kristen Wiig's character, okay? Um, and then we're also introduced to, I guess, um, um, oh, man, what's Pedro Pascal's character's name? <laughs> oh, Max Lord, that's right. Max Lord, who is supposed to be the main villain of the movie, I think. Um, but he's kind of an oil tycoon who is more of a fraud because he got investors to invest on uh, plots of land that were supposed to yield oil but have not yield oil and his company's going bankrupt now he's desperate and somehow he's heard from research he's done that there's some type of special rock uh, a magical stone that will grant you wishes and so somehow i and and i mean i guess i guess because wonder woman apprehended the thugs who stole that from the in, black the black market antiquity shop inside the jewelry store of the mall he knows that the museum now has it and yeah, he's going to try to find it. But um, so this is now the setting for the whole story. Um, let's go ahead and talk about these characters. Let's talk about uh, Barbara Minerva. Let's talk about Max Lord. Tell me your guys' overall thoughts on how Kristen Wiig portrayed her character, how Pedro Pascal portrayed his character, and just if it worked or not. Ryan, why don't you go first? Cool. So Pedro Pascal, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I've actually watched a few videos, but people have not been overly uh, are not overly keen on Pedro Pascal. But I'm a I'm a big fan. Um, overall, I think his um, he has a good presence on screen, just generally, which is what make, is, makes him so famous. And I think he still had that presence in it. So I wasn't um, off put by him himself, but his character for me, I had I did it was a lame character for him to play. It was. Like you just read just what you just read out, Andre. To me, just looks like that he goes to find a stone that grants him wishes. It's just like, like just that whole like story just sounds really silly. And then like <laughs> and then like so then he be, then he then he like grant asks to become the stone. It's like it's like someone asking for infinity wishes, which is what everyone says they do. That if you were to have have three wishes, what would you do? I'd ask for more wishes. It's just a little bit like okay so for me, very very weak. There isn't much going on there. I didn't mind his relationship with his son at the start, but then that started to feel quite um, quite dull, not very much depth there. I thought they were going to build on that a bit more, but it was just used again at the end to have some level of an emotional pull, but didn't have it because they didn't really build on it very much. Did you guys ever wonder why his son is of some Asian descent and Pedro Pascal is Hispanic, but we never yeah. meet the mom or? <laughs> yeah, that was weird. I did think that was weird. So that was, so, so that was very strange. But obviously, they they able to caveat that by the fact that you never get to meet the mom, so you could just put it in your mind, can you? That okay? You're gonna have to. Yeah, the either mom, he's the adopted mom must be carrying or some of this heritage. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but uh, but Chia Barbara. Oh my God. I, for me, I, I don't know much about the character. I've um, I don't know too much about Cheetah as a character um, from like uh, comic books and stuff like that. So I can't comment on her accuracy. But going at it as someone that doesn't know much and just basing it off a, of a villain from a film, it was just it was just it was just lame. Personally, I think that I, I maybe you guys can help me out. Um, but I don't get why she by the end becomes a cheater. <laughs> like she asks to become an apex predator but technically the cheetah isn't actually up there in terms of she, she would think she would become like a lion or something she doesn't actually ask to become a cheetah she becomes a cheetah but that's not is it because she likes running is it because you saw her running before i don't know but 
I don't get any real vibe or understanding on why she becomes a cheater. It just she doesn't <laughs> she doesn't research cheaters. She doesn't like say that she's overly liking of cheaters. She's from my understanding. The only thing that I really grasped was that she liked Diana's shoes that had, which I think was leopard print. But I'm no, I'm no like mm-hmm. genius. Like leopard print is very different to cheetah print. <laughs> cheetahs have spots, leopard have, but whatever. But I'm going down that route. But I don't get it. So maybe you guys can explain to me. Did I miss something massively key there to why she would become a cheetah? No, that is basically uh, my summation as well. I have no idea <laughs> outside of the cheetah print shoes that she liked at the beginning. Like, that is yeah. pretty much it. And then she says Apex Predator, and it's like, okay, you you become a cheetah then? <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't give you lion or tiger, but I've got a plenty of cheetah that you can have. <laughs> like, it's not even like the Apex Predator would be like, yes, it is up there. But it's not like if you think you're going to be the creme de la creme of of a predator of animal predators, it's it's a lion or a tiger. Like the cheetah is like the neck the next level down. Like so for even me, I'm like you've kind of got like the lame apex predator. You haven't even got like the best one. <laughs> but she but she liked the shoes, Ryan. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> Bra- Brian, you've got an apex predator on the bed behind you. Yeah, I do. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's a good looking dog, Brian. It's a good looking dog. Well, and not only that, but I, I mean, okay, so Kristen Wiig, I, I like Kristen Wiig. I think she's a good actress. I do. And and like what I like about Kristen Wiig is that she's Kristen Wiig in every single movie she plays in. So if you ever see any movie that Kristen Wiig is in, it's like a lot of actors and that's fine. I mean, there's a lot of actors that just, they play themselves, you know? I mean, I mean, like I'm, Chris Pratt, Ryan Reynolds, like, Chris, yeah, Ryan Reynolds. They're they're just themselves in a movie. And that's fine because you can have a likable personality and be fairly charismatic in the portrayal of whatever you're doing in whatever movie you're acting in. But it's, I mean, it's just it, she was just Kristen Wiig, and that's fine. I mean, that's fine. But but to think that she was going to be some type of menacing or really um, fearsome villain, I never, not once got that vibe you're never worried about diana you're never worried about like will diana be able to defeat cheetah there is no sense of of dread when it comes to Kristen wig as a villain so i always I, I always thought that was a really interesting choice but okay so let's get back to the stone though so i guess the, the context of the stone and what they explained in the movie is that there was some type of god greek god you know the kind of the same origins of of diana um he, I guess he was a mischievous god, kind of like Loki, but not Loki because this is DC, that created this stone because the stone itself works as a monkey paw. And the explanation of a monkey paw is that for whatever you ask, you it will require something in return. So, But apparently, the really professional experienced museum workers, uh, Diana Prince and Barbara Minerva, did not realize that this was the real thing. They thought it was a fake. But the person who did know was the oil tycoon who needed it to save his business. He did know it was the real one. So not not the uh, not the educated uh, people that work in the museum. The professionals. It was the professionals. Just yeah. some guy who actually can't even get his own company off the ground. <laughs> and I love the fact that the stone that the FBI is after is just sitting on their desk. Yeah. Like, not <laughs> 
it's right there when he walks in. He's like, oh. <laughs> so, so, okay. So, unsuspectingly, um, Barbara Minerva and Diana Prince both make wishes on the stone. They had no idea that they, these wishes were going to come true. Barbara wishes to be like Diana. You know, she wishes to have the same attributes that make Diana Diana. But she, instead of just becoming, I guess, you know, this elegant, beautiful person that that Diana is and that Gal Gadot is, um, she gets the same powers that Wonder Woman has. So now she's like, you know, super speed, super strong, etc. And Diana basically accidentally wishes for her dead boyfriend, Steve Trevor, to come back to life. And uh, and this leads to an interesting um, uh, an interesting set of scenes that we knew what was going to happen because we knew that uh, Chris Pine was going to be back in this movie. How it was going to happen, that was the question that everybody was wondering. How is Chris Pine's character, C. Trevor, going to come back to life? Well, all of a sudden, when they are at some gala for the museum, a gala that Gal Gadot or Diana Prince does not want to go to, but or uh, that she does end up going to, um, some random guy in a leather jacket comes over and then Chris Pine's voice starts talking to Diana, <laughs> basically saying things that only Steve Trevor would say. And this is some random actor. I've never seen this guy before in any movies. I've looked up his credits. I think he's been on some Hallmark Christmas special movies. Um, but some random guy that does not look like Chris Pine or Steve Trevor and, uh, and I was I was wondering how this transition was going to happen. I was really really wondering and for a second I was fairly confused because all of a sudden the the shot goes from this actor to Diana and then back to the actor but all of a sudden it's not that actor it's Chris Pine. So, what we learn later is that this person we see as Chris Pine or Steve Trevor is the way that Diana sees him because she knows it's his spirit or essence that has now taken over this other guy, okay? So essentially when she wished for Steve Trevor to come back to life, his essence or spirit or soul, whatever you want to say, has now possessed the body of this another individual and he doesn't actually look like Steve Trevor, but Diana sees him as Steve Trevor because she knows it's him. It's his soul, okay? So, and this plays out for the rest of the movie. We only see this individual as Steve Trevor. It is Chris Pine, but in actuality, everyone else sees this other actor. So, um, we're going to get it, Ryan. We're going to get into the thing that you brought up when we were uh, talking about uh, the points that we want to make, but... Just tell me your guys' thoughts on how they resurrected Steve Trevor. Is Could they have done it better? If they could have done it better, maybe what would you have done, etc. So, uh, Brian, why don't you go ahead? Uh, they should have just resurrected him, not put his consciousness in some random guy. Like, it, it made zero sense. I guess it's just some guy that lived near where she was. <laughs> like, it made no sense to me at all. And I, I do want to get into the fact, I know what we're going to bring up later, but I also want to bring up the fact that she puts him in so much danger. <laughs> the whole movie. Like, it's just a random guy, and he's in car chases, and he jets. about to get shot. 
like he's in jets now. He's like a federal. He's done like a federal crime, and he's like breaking into the White House. Yep. Yes. Yeah. No. It. It. They're doing so much crazy stuff in this movie. It. It would have been so much easier for him to just resurrect. <laughs> it, it would have made a lot yeah. of sense. Yep. Yeah. Hey, right. Uh, let's hear it. I agree one hundred percent with Brian. I think they're all like, it's it's pointless that they did that. And I did a bit of um, really like when I watched the videos after it. Someone brought up the point. I can't remember who it was. Was it? It might have been Grace Randolph. Someone brought up the point that um, Patty Jenkins um, actually highlighted. There's another film that's really unknown. Um, I can't remember what it's called. Now I should have I should have brought it with me, but where something similar happens, where a soul gets put into another body that apparently, again, is something that Patty Jenkins really enjoyed and wanted to um, to, to bring into this film. But it's like, like it again, she's just from like the Superman thing. It seems like she has this stuff and there's, and now she's shoehorning something that she likes into a film when it doesn't really make sense. She's just like, oh, I like this. So therefore, and I'm a filmmaker and I'm in charge, so I'm going to do this. And not actually thinking about the questions that then come from it. It seems like, because I'm in charge and I like this, I'm going to do it. And actually, instead of going, does this fit the story? Does this make sense? Why would this be the case when everyone else that makes their wishes gets gets their stuff? Like everything else happens instantly. A wall just randomly appears out of freaking nowhere. But yet Chris Pine can't. And even if you were to ask the questions, well, people would be asking questions that there's a dead man alive. He died back in freaking World War One. No one's going to recognize him out on the street. Like, why couldn't he have just appeared why can't he have just appeared and that is it and he he finds her hunts her down or whatever or he she just wakes up and he's in her house because it's her wish or she wakes up next to him in bed or something anything because that would have made sense if any this doesn't make sense that she he appears in someone else's body if everyone else's wishes were kind of diluted in that way then it kind of would have made sense but it doesn't Barbara gets her powers. This random wall appears. He takes the security guards away from the that king, um, and like like instantly, just everything happens as the wish or the taking away says it to happen. Yet the one for uh, Wonder Woman is a kind of weird, distorted wish. I'd have felt ripped off if I was her. <laughs> well, so that's uh, you both bring up great points. I agree with uh, with how we they should have done it differently. As the movie continues, you begin to realize that this magic wishing stone can grant anything, anything. So why would it not be able just to bring him back? If it can do literally anything, it should just be able to bring him back. And by bringing him back and resurrecting him and not just put it, downloading his consciousness into some other individual, um, you avoid all of these other unnecessary questions that should have been avoided in the first place because then, and Ryan, this is what we're going to get into. Um, when they reunite, they are back together and Diana sleeps with this person, this person whose body is not Steve Trevor, but whose spirit or soul is in Steve Tre- or uh, is in this other human. And, and it has brought up questions that I, at first I thought were kind of ridiculous because I saw these questions online. I'm like, oh, that's silly. Like, But then it it actually kind of just started to make sense. Like, yes, this is actually something that you should ask and wonder, is this okay? Because, and this is why I think it's a good question, because if the roles were reversed and Steve Trevor is 
a woman and Diana Prince is a man, are, are we not going to ask the same questions about <laughs> this sexual encounter that they have? Is this, is this something that's okay and that we should show? Because clearly Steve Trevor in this other person's body, the other person does not have the decision of what is happening to him, even though I don't think he would have opposed to sleeping with Wonder Woman. But now it, it just creates the scenario in which it, it's so unnecessary. It's so unnecessary. But And yet here we are. Is there anything else you guys want to add to that? I, I think just with that question, I, I brought it up because it is a question that people are asking. I think, am I bothered by it? No, because I feel like when this whole, like not to go too dark into this stuff, but because it's not a conscious, there's not a conscious thing going on. It's not consciously happening to 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 someone mentally. I think a lot of the bad stuff that people are referring to is the mental impact it has on these people. If this guy comes back and he remembers nothing, he knows nothing, and obviously no damage has been done to his body. If anything, I actually think for Brian's point, the sheer fact is that he's been putting through explosions and <laughs> all the other stuff. It's actually probably a little bit worse because like he could have lost like imagine his brain goes back and he's lost an arm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, come on. I, I actually think that's worse. Like, yes, an intimate act happened, but it was done in an in, like intimate, and I think it was more of a conscious thing that usually would have a a knock. But I do. I'm not disregarding the people are saying. It. I think it it has both arguments, and I just think it's of who you are, whether it would bother you or not. And for me, it, it didn't bother me, but I can can see why what why people are saying what they're saying. Yeah. Um, okay, so let, let's go ahead and move on. So um, for the sake of time, we're going to kind of rush through the next part because essentially the movie plays out as this. In order, uh, apparently, and, and this is this is a plot hole I think I discovered because The Rock only grants one wish per individual. At least that's what I understand, which is why Max Lord wished to be The Rock because he, he wouldn't be able to... to continue to ask for wishes but as long as people are asking wishes of him he always gets something in return it's that monkey foot principle so if you ask for something the rock requires something of you and so we also learned that because diana asked for steve trevor back and he's back kind of uh what the rock is taking from her is are her powers and so as the movie continues and she is in more dangerous uh, action type scenes she is losing her power so bullets are affecting her she's not as strong she's not as fast you know when she has her first encounter Barbara Minerva who is just a human at this point Barbara Minerva easily out duels her um, so that's what it's taking from her with Barbara Minerva and correct me if I'm wrong what I understood from what she is losing is she is losing her humanity is that what you guys took from what the rock is taking from her like what? What yeah. was the rock requiring from her? I think that's the case. That's where those scenes were, where she was really nice to like um, the homeless guy on the street and stuff. But obviously, something that she valued quite a bit was her her just constantly being nice and polite to people, no matter who they are, no matter how horrible they are to her, no matter the situation, how they are to her um, over their homeless. She has a very good characteristics of just generally being a very kind person to to everyone. And then yeah, that started to take away to the point where she obviously lost that kindness and, and didn't have that and therefore she became less empathetic towards people and a lot of people were quite mean to her and that and that's where she lost that ability to oversee a lot of the, the bullying and stuff that she was obviously portraying okay I think she should have killed that one creep on the street that she saw again like she just threw him up against the uh i mean that probably would have killed him anyways he'd <laughs> 
full side of that metal uh, yeah yeah but uh yeah but she just leaves him there and runs off it's like is she supposed to become the villain is this a villain story but i think from my understanding is this is um because the the thing that they're taking from them is 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 gradual even though i asked questions about that and it didn't make sense because again as a lot of stuff happened was quite instant um when he took like that security team away that was instant but yet um like diana's powers slowly decrease i think that was for barbara as well is that that's a scene to show that she is she's getting there but she's not quite there yet and that's why she leaves him alive because she's slowly decreasing and losing that like her humanity and empathy but she's not quite there yet to the point where she would become a murderer but she she gets obviously to that point as then the film film goes on so when when barbara minerva toward the end of the end of the movie is on the plane with max lord and she asks again she asks for another wish this is why i was confused by her asking for another wish because after she asks this wish to be an apex predator and then she becomes cheetah right um that that was confusing to me because that i assume that's why max lord wished to be the rock itself because you could only have one wish that's it but i think she gets two wishes barbara nerva was granted to become like like Diana Prince and now she's going to be even more than that but um I, I want to talk about I want to talk about one of the I think this was probably the biggest action scene in the movie uh, and for a movie that's two and a half hours long and for it being a comic book superhero Wonder Woman movie I thought the movie was severely lacking in action itself but I, one of the biggest action scenes was in somewhere in the Middle East um they were oh okay hold on we'll get i guess i guess we'll get back to that um (laughs) uh diana prince and steve trevor are chasing max lord in the middle east because he's in the middle east and they're trying to find him because i think they now know that he is the magic stone um i don't know if you guys noticed this but i did it it was pointed out to me but they fly to the middle east on her invisible jet and again that this is what i will get back to we'll get back to the invisible jet but um they pass him on a random highway in the Middle East, just like the most coincidental encounter you could possibly imagine. They have no idea where he is. They're trying to find him. And then there they go, right opposite directions on the same road. And they're like, hey, look who it is. <laughs> like, the, it couldn't be more coincidental and more of a plot convenience for this scene to play out. But... um but this is essentially the biggest action scene. Uh, Wonder Woman is she she does not have her sword and shield for the entire movie. The only weapon that she uses is her lasso, and so she's using her lasso throughout this scene. Um, what did you guys think of this action scene with the the big army trucks and her trying to get to Max Lord on this highway somewhere in the desert in the Middle East? Was this did it feel satisfying in terms of i mean because this was this was really the pinnacle of any action in the movie that the the final climax of the movie had little to no action whatsoever um so what were your thoughts on this compared to you know like like the first wonder woman movie with the no man's land and her going through that town and just kicking butt on the other soldiers yeah right yeah go ahead brian it was, it was obviously a big step down. Like like I said, the, I saw this part early in the clip. 
and I just the running looked terrible. So I was immediately taken out, and I I didn't like the they they've been doing the bullet time shot and like every Wonder Woman, uh, they do it in Justice League I think, and they and they do it a couple times in the first one, but they do it and it's shooting toward uh, Steve Trevor and she catches it with the lasso, and it, it it's just so ridiculous. I did like <laughs> I, I liked the Captain America when she's like pushing each one of the uh, of the trucks away and she's that, that was pretty cool and it, it looked all right but like i feel like we've just been so spoiled with uh superhero movie action that this was just like i was just not into it and it didn't look great and yeah yeah no i i wouldn't i wasn't thrilled with the whole scene at all and the and the kids the oh. random kids oh. <laughs> like there's like like it was the straightest road on the planet with no nothing hiding it no traffic no there was nothing it was it was just an it was an empty area wasn't it plain <laughs> and just a straight ass road and there was action going on there was rockets being shot out of tanks or whatever guns fire tanks being flipped cars skidding and these kids can't it's see it can't hear it. They're just, ball. They're just gonna keep kicking that ball. Do you know what I mean? Like I get it if it's like they're turning a co- like a turn a corner and it's a last minute thing and she has to kick into action really quickly. But like those kids were there for ages. Like they were there for ages. Like there was time for her to think about like it was just so silly, like that kid's thing. It was just adding something in there just to add something in there to try and up the ante, but it didn't, it just made it feel more silly. Like, and that's that just summed up the whole film is they just keep adding things in to up the ante, but actually up the ante, it just made it feel more ludicrous and made you ask more questions. That's that's how the whole film is portrayed. There's like been no thinking behind any of the decisions that were made and whether it fits the story and whether it's coherent. It's just let's just do it because. And it's like that that's that's just it's very poor filmmaking and it just sums up the whole film for me. Well, talking talking about just doing something for the sake of just doing it, let's let's go back to what I I, I uh, skipped over, and that's the invisible jet scene. So, anybody that's a fan of Wonder Woman uh, in the comic books, um, I think even in the the Linda Carter uh, you know old series, uh, the invisible jet was something that was you know it 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 was as tied to Wonder Woman's character as her the lasso of truth, and so. We didn't get to see um, any type of invisible jet in any other movie that Wonder Woman has been in until now. And so here, here is the setting in which the invisible jet was introduced to us. Um, <laughs> Diana Prince and Steve Trevor are trying to chase down Max Lord, but they're in Washington, D.C., and they need to get away quickly. So they go to a museum and steal a jet, a military jet, that is used as... as a display essentially but is ready to go ready to fly fuel. and not only that but steve trevor who is a pilot from world war one world war one we're talking the ba- most basic of prop planes okay not not even world war two world war one is able to climb into a modern day jet and fly it and so as they take off and they are in the air um Diana remembers that there's a thing called radar and that they can be detected. So then she also remembers that there is a technique in which her father Zeus was able to hide an entire island at Themyscira. And so she is able to conjure up some type of invisible spell 
with her hands and she makes the jet invisible and thus is the birth of the invisible jet so right and brian i want to know what you guys thought of this scene for me this was one of the most cringeworthy scenes of the whole movie so right why don't you go first it was super cringe i think it was super cringe and again it was just adding something in without asking the questions on why I don't mind her having an invisible jet. We've seen some ludicrous stuff in films, like in all the Marvel films and stuff. We could go over all the stuff that's a bit mad. But the reason why an audience accepts things that are mad is because you build up to it. You start off to a small thing and you build up to it to the point that when something mad, that the big thing happens, you accept it. You can't just go, ah, just because my dad did it, I'm going to give it a go. Oh, I could do it. Awesome. That's just ludicrous for me. Like, you just it's just disrespectful to the audience to just think that they're, they're just going to accept you just to go because my dad can do it i'm going to give it a go oh it's worked that i just it's very much like mary sue kind of like what people had issues with like ray and star wars where it's just i've heard about the force people can do it let's go ahead and do it it's like right i i don't know it just that that bugs me they could have highlighted some sort of thing at the beginning of the film at least to highlight that She's trying to learn this new power and she's kind of doing it but not doing it. So she, you know what I mean? And it would build a suspense in the scene where it's like, oh, we've seen her do it once but fail at it. But keep, you know what I mean? Like, is she going to be able to do it? Yeah, she's done it. Awesome. Like, maybe something like that. So that was silly. And then, yeah, and then the sheer fact that they've just popped into a fully fueled jet to fly it off, like you said, Andre, <laughs> and that he can fly. That's just, that's just ludicrous. It was, it's like, it was, it was a, a historical piece set at a museum. Like, these things. <laughs> I, and, I, just, and like it would be like it'd be like me getting into a formula one car just because i can drive a car means i can get into this now super advanced machinery like it's just it's so stupid it was so stupid again question like just putting stuff in about asking the questions behind why that would make sense yeah it, they didn't think about putting on a helmet you know it's a pretty loud <laughs> set uh I don't know if there's in the 80s there was a jet that could make it from DC to Cairo. They would definitely have to have stopped at it and refueled <laughs> aircraft uh, carrier. Uh, yeah, it was just the logistics of all of that. I'm like, who cares? At that point, like so many wrong turns in a row that they just don't care. This movie obviously doesn't care. Just, well, they were just hoping we were going to buy into it, and yeah. no, nobody did, really. All right, so we're going to go ahead and jump to the final part of the movie, essentially the climax. Um, Max Lord has has um, he has figured out a way using '80s technology to to project himself onto every television in the world via some satellite in the '80s to do this, to where he convinces everybody to make a wish on him. And so Max Lord is dying, physically dying, because of all the wishes he is granting. And so I guess the stone is taking his health from him. And his idea is if he can continue to have people wish, make wishes to him, he can take their health from them to keep himself alive. So um, <laughs> Diana Prince uh, figures this out. She finds out where he is. She goes to stop him. Uh Barbara Minerva now reveals herself as Cheetah. Um, the, a scene that was filmed in very low light, I think, to hide a lot of the flaws of the CGI. Because if it was going to be <clears throat> in any type of bright or daylight kind of scene, it would have looked uh, atrocious. Worse than it already looked. But um, 
Um, just tell me real quick on your thoughts of her design and her look as Cheetah. Thoughts? Uh, it was uh, it was all right. I again, it it wasn't great. Didn't blow me away. I, I've seen worse, but it was it was it was just pretty lame. It was just bog standard, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I feel the same way about Cheetah. I mean, it looked as good as I thought she was gonna look. I guess. I, I thought that I thought that action scene was so boring. They were just swinging around on a uh, on a wire, uh, like on an electric line for like two minutes, <laughs> which doesn't make sense because Diana learned to fly like two minutes ago. Oh like, shoot! Like, I forgot to even talk about flying. Yeah, why, is it, why is she swinging around <laughs> on that? It's like, yeah, it's it's that was really silly. And then she's in her armor as well. That was like was really shoehorned in as well. It's like, here's a piece of armor that I picked up. I bet I'm going to be wearing that later on. Like, that was really shoehorned in. And it did nothing anyway. Like, Barbara, like, completely, like, um, ripped it to shreds. Well, the so, thing like, about the armor is that the story... Sword, the yeah, the story of the armor was that in ancient times, there was a Themyscira or, or, or an Amazonian who was, like, going to sacrifice herself to hold off some Arby's so so the rest of the Amazons could could escape. And she was taking on this entire army because this armor was like pieced together from all the armor of all the other Amazons, and she was able to hold them off. So an entire army, it, she can hold off an entire army, but when she faces Cheetah, Cheetah tears this thing to shreds. I mean, it yeah, nothing about that really made sense. But she doesn't really even use the armor because then she throws it off, and then she has her fight with Cheetah, and then she electrocutes Cheetah, and that's the end of that. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So then we get we get to this is this is the 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 final encounter with the villain of the movie Max Lord creates some type of whirlwind tornado to keep and I don't know how he did that I have no idea how he did that but he he did that to keep Wonder Woman away Wonder Woman is knocked into a corner um and uh and she is able to get a hold of Max Lord with her lasso of truth and so then she's able to communicate, you know, to the entire world because she's being broadcast via satellite on every TV. And everybody that made made a wish, she has to convince them to renounce her wish because in order for the world, which has descended into utter chaos, uh, nukes are in the sky about to descend upon the world and blow it to smithereens. I mean, the world is in total chaos. But before the world comes to a crashing and despicable end she convinces everybody to renounce their wish and then everything goes back to normal so this is essentially how the movie ends part of that and we did kind of skip over this too which was uh, i and i don't mean to i don't mean to downplay this scene but it, I, I think it was one of the more poignant scenes but in order for wonder woman to have convinced everybody to renounce their wish she had to renounce her wish as well of steve trevor being alive so she renounces that wish in a scene that I thought was it was well acted from Gal. I thought Gal nailed that scene fairly well. Um, but this is how this is this is how the movie ends, and this is the climactic f- finale. And Rye, I know you're going to want to talk about Zimmer's score in this moment because they used the same song from the intro to Batman v Superman, um, which I thought was a very interesting choice. But uh, Brian, why don't you tell us your thoughts of essentially? This final scene of the movie, how it all kind of played out, and then uh, Rai, we'll go from the uh, yeah, you go next. 
So that scene was the scene where she renounces the wish, and then she, that's when she learns to fly, right? Isn't that the scene where she learns to fly? Well, she gets she by renouncing her wish, she essentially gets all her powers back. Yeah, that's right. Then she learns to fly. Then she fights Cheetah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That scene was probably the best scene in the movie when she uh, renounces her wish and then she was able to fly. But and then it took me out again because I didn't like how the flying looked. I thought it looked pretty ridiculous. <laughs> uh, well, well, because the way it happens is because you hear Steve Trevor's voice in her head still talking about how an airplane flies. And so because we know how an airplane flies, we also know how Wonder Woman flies now. <laughs> yeah. It, they tried to do the Man of Steel thing, and it, it, it just doesn't look near as good. Didn't feel I, I didn't feel any weight from it at all. And then she starts swinging on the lightning, and which I which I thought in the movie, I'm like, they're really going to play Ride the Lightning, the Metallica song. They came out in 1994, <laughs> and they didn't. <laughs> weird music like opportunities from that year that for some reason they just didn't use yeah but uh yeah where did the i have no idea where the wind came from there was like i guess the rock was causing some type of wind throughout the, i worked it a few other times like before but i i didn't really understand how like all that wind's coming from him as he's like delivering the message to the world and broadcasting on computer screens in the 80s <laughs> but uh yeah i was just weird it, like they used the uh beautiful eye that's that's when the waynes get shot right yep yeah that's such an odd choice like that is such a random choice i mean i to to reuse the exact same theme the exact same one yeah bizarre yeah. bizarre very bizarre yeah you're ridiculous i i oh i mean this movie is, i'm just lost of words talking about this movie because it seems like it's just one failure after the next like on <laughs> yeah. right do you have any thoughts on that and maybe max lord um uh, realizing that his son was about to die from the chaos that was created in the world. And he hears his son yelling. And so in order to save his son, Max renounces his wish thoughts. I think, I think it was very, what's the word I want to look for? I don't want to say naive, but because I feel like it's disrespectful. I think that Paddy wanted to try and portray a world of hope and the fact that, we could all come together to to save the world and give up our selfishness. And I think that was kind of a level of a message that she wanted to portray that she believes that possibly the world does have that ability to, to be like that. And I, I don't mind that. I don't, so it's like the driving message kind of behind Superman and the Man of Steel. But it's it that's something that like Superman's working towards. And that's what I really enjoy with Henry Cavill's Superman is he's working towards people believing in him and believing in himself and stuff like that and it's a journey that he's on and i was hoping that we would we would get to that to that point where so i, I don't mind that. i just think again it was very kind of superficial and tried to be done quite quickly because it was something that patty wanted to to portray but I, I i didn't mind it i just don't think that everyone on the planet earth would renounce their wish i think there'd be a lot of people in situations where their wish would mean life or death to them and stuff like that and just so that was very wish wishful thinking in a um, in that situation um so yeah I, I i i didn't really like it personally um 
but then the fact that they they then topped it off with then like a different piece of music that was was really jarring because it's like was quite prominent in Batman versus Superman and especially like people that are very like devoted to the DC universe would know this piece of music it's a very good bit of music it's very prominent um and I know I've heard a lot of people really like it and obviously Patty really likes it and again it's one of those things where she's made a decision where she likes something so she's just going to put it in without really asking the questions of does it make sense and then she did the same with the music that she did when Wonder Woman's flying as well because she used a score from John Murphy which is actually pretty much the theme music for Kick-Ass I know that it's (laughs) <laughs> and been used in films before like uh, like sunshine and it's um was in like the walking De- dead finale episode and stuff so it's a it's it's quite a commonly used piece of music but i think it really made its mark massively by being like the theme tune for kick-ass and so when that started playing it was jarring again i'm like okay well wonder woman's flying but we've had no real hint on her of her ever flying and i know that she flies in the comics and stuff but she didn't fly in justice league or she didn't fly in batman versus superman so why is she flying now when this happens before so that was really jarring. And then this music that comes out of nowhere that isn't Hans Zimmer starts playing. I'm like, this is really weird. So the whole scene was just like, what's going on? I don't, what? I don't know why none of this makes sense. And that was all that's going for my brain is trying to understand why this should make sense and actually enjoying a scene where you're getting to finally see Wonder Woman fly, which is part of her character and should have been a bigger thing than just it happening. Like, it's just really frustrating. Like, you see Superman Man of Steel, you see him properly learn how to fly it's a really big scene like he fails and stuff like that and it's it's a big scene and it's, and it's a big bit of music for Hans Zimmer playing in that bit as well so like in this scene which is supposed to be massive which isn't they don't even use Hans Zimmer's music like I just don't get it I'm really lost for words I'm really lost for words by the decisions that are made in this film it was it's a, it's a shambles it really was a mess I don't remember a single instance where they played her theme I no. I, my head i don't remember a single moment where they played that iconic theme yeah so it's it's in there it's in there but the instruments they use to play the theme are nothing nothing similar to what they used in the actual bvs uh theme when we first heard it and not even not not even from the 2017 wonder woman movie when they played her theme because so Rupert Gregson Williams was the composer that did the score for the first Wonder Woman movie, but he used the exact same theme that that mm-hmm. Zimmer and Junkie XL did for BVS. And but this, there's a clip you guys can go onto YouTube. There's this little clip that Warner Brothers had put out, uh, essentially I think to prepare audiences uh, on how different Zimmer's score was going to be, because I think that's one of the things that most people they were excited about when they heard that Zimmer was going to come back to score this movie. Cause you know, after BVS, he kind of said that he wasn't going to do a superhero movies anymore, but then he actually came back and did dark Phoenix, which was a really great score, really great score. And, and so when they're like, Oh, you're going to do wonder woman again, this is going to be off the charts. It's going to be great. But unfortunately, the the score the score was mostly just orchestral, and so it 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 was more reminiscent of Danny Elfman's Justice League score than it was the original BVS theme for Wonder Woman. It just and so it's so it's so toned down that I'm not surprised that you guys didn't recognize it because it sounds nothing like. I mean, it is the theme and it's in there, but it sounds nothing nothing like it did in BVS or like, in Wonder Woman. It's. In that video, Andre, you mentioned Patty Jenkins actually mentions how she asked Hans Zimmer to make it more uplifting. So I think yeah. he he does actually change the theme ever so slightly to fit in more 
uplifting tones in it um where her her standard theme was is not so much uplifting it's more energizing isn't it when you hear that playing you kind of get involved in the scene that something's really yeah. going to happen here yeah, yeah. and and she, because obviously Patsy wanted this more of it to be a more of a hopeful, more of a uplifting film, she clearly didn't seem feel like the music would fit that, and so therefore he, she asked him to change it and to make it like that. And then for me, it's just straight away, just like, did did she like anything from the film that she made before? And it makes me really question, was was she really more just a puppet in that really? And Snyder was actually mainly behind that film because think about it now if this is a film that she makes and she's in complete control and she doesn't have having to kind of extend on someone's vision she wanted this and this is nothing like what we got and it, it's it's really weird it's really weird that warner brothers now given her a third film I, I i think they they they've come out too fast on the gun on that one and i wouldn't be surprised if you see that not happening but i think it's they're in dangerous water here like with announcing that so soon because i don't think this film after time is people aren't going to take us on more like people in the uk have it's not out in streaming and it's only we, only we barely have many cinemas open out here so as soon as people in the uk start seeing it it could get worse like this could get worse it's being shown to a very small portion of the world at the moment because of the coronavirus like this could only these bad reviews and this bad reception can only get worse and they've gone and announced something and done a right and done a glucose film on with like what i did with ryan johnson i've got too far into the hype too soon on and, and could regret it because I don't. If if Zack Snyder's Justice League does really well, like I think it's going to, they're going to be in sticky water because Patty Jenkins clearly does not want to continue on the Wonder Woman that Zack Snyder's made. But if right. if this Justice League does well, then they're going to have to like. And this carries on bombing. They're in Warner Brothers are in a mess, man. They really are. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Okay, so here, Brian, I know you you want to say something. So let's let's get our final thoughts on the movie because I want to spend the last part of our discussion on on the DCEU, on what's next for Warner Brothers, the Snyder uh, cut that's going to come out, and that's what we'll spend our last part on. So, Brian, tell me your final thoughts on the movie. I also want to get your guys' recommendations. So for Backseat Directors, we do recommendations since this is a theatrical release. Either we say it's a go-see-it, maybe it's a matinee, or a no-go. So, uh, so yeah, give me your final thoughts and then give me your recommendation. Uh, yeah, I think this is one of the most disappointing sequels in a long time. Uh, to a movie that was really good and surprised a lot of people. And it was, I, I think that was the DCU's biggest movie domestically, I think. At least domestically. Uh, at the box office. And it, widespread, uh, just overall great, glowing reception. And had a decent trailer, good hype for it. And the writing just killed this movie. And uh, yeah, I... It is definitely a, a no go for for me. Yeah, Rye, let's let's hear your recommendation. Cool. So I've rambled on quite a bit through this, so you guys all know. So for me, generally, I, I would put down as probably one of the worst superhero films I've ever seen. I know that sounds really dramatic, but I generally would prefer to watch Batman and Robin over this. Generally, if they were both on the TV and I had to pick between, I'd put Batman and Robin on, or or Ben Affleck's daredevil this at least those films have a level of coherency to them and you can actually understand what's going on um <laughs> so for me off the back of that no go do not watch this film if you want to save any amount of your life yeah so 
Oh, man. So I, I don't know if you guys checked out uh, with the uh, Backseat Directors. We got, I think, five of uh, the writers and plus plus my review. We just did like a quick roundtable review on the website. But uh, the recommendation that I gave, I got to stick with that one because that's the one that I gave. But I, I said maybe a matinee because I know I know there are people that are fans of Wonder Woman. Perhaps they're fans of, of the Linda Carter Wonder Woman, you know, from the 1970s show. Uh, maybe they, you know, they're just big fans of the comic books and they want to see kind of those things that weren't in the previous Wonder Woman's film, like an invisible jet and stuff like that. So I know there are going to be people out there that enjoy the movie, but I, 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 I will not be watching this movie again anytime soon, like anytime soon. When I think about some of the DC movies that have come out over the last 10 years or so or whatever, and ones that I think are pretty down on my list, but ones that I, I know eventually I'll revisit. Wonder Woman is at the bottom. It is. Wonder Woman 1984 was so incredibly disappointing and so jarringly different from the first one that I know when I when I go back to watch the first Wonder Woman movie, I, it's going to end there. I'm not going to keep going and watch Wonder Woman 1984 after I see Wonder Woman again. And and hopefully, and and again, we'll get into this discussion, you know, when we see Wonder Woman again in the Snyder Cut that comes out in March, I, I think a lot of people are going to reconnect with the original Wonder Woman that we got from 2017 and say, this is the Diana Prince that I remember, and this is the Diana Prince that we were hoping to see. So, um, okay, so we have two no-goes, and then from me, I'll, I'll, I'll be the good cop on this one. It's a maybe matinee, so... Uh, that's a review of Wonder Woman. Um, yeah, guys. So let's let's spend this just the last part of our discussion, and then we'll end the podcast. Uh, but I I want to I want to hear your thoughts on just the the state of the DCEU, the direction they're headed. Obviously, Walter Hamada I think was just interviewed in in an article, um, essentially saying that the the slate of movies that are coming out they're they are distancing themselves more and more from Zack Snyder's. DC universe and this I think Wonder Woman 1984 was was uh, gosh I think it's a, a sign of things to come and if it is uh, heaven help them my goodness um but yeah tell me tell me your thoughts on the state of the DCEU what are you guys excited for in terms of what's uh coming up in the movie slates uh perhaps you know are you guys excited for the Snyder Cut that's coming out on HBO Max um, and, and then, yeah, then, then let's, uh, let's hear your DCEU rankings. That's what, that's what we'll end on. All right. So, uh, Rai, why don't, why don't you go first? Tell me, tell me what your, your thoughts are of the DCEU, where things are headed, what you're excited for, or if you're just not really excited for anything. <laughs> so I think that they, like I said, they, uh, what's the, what's the saying? Um, hatching their chickens, what counting their chickens before they hatch something like that. I think they, I think they're underestimating how much the Zack Snyder's Justice League is going to just show them how much people want that over what they're doing. Um, I personally think that it's going to explode in their face, and they're going to be in even more of a mess because they, they will, they, they just need to keep their mouth shut and wait until Justice League, the Zack Snyder's Justice League, is done with because they're making a mess out of everything. Like that's the. Jared Leto's joke is coming back and he's talking about how the him and Zack Snyder have got these like massive plans but then then like like the head of uh, Warner Brothers is coming out like Sandra and he's talking about how like they're going to be distancing them from, themselves from it and like 
Like, I just don't. But yet they're still using the characters from Zack Snyder's Justice League and they're not recasting. But then they've got an, another Batman. But then you've got Joe Manganiello. He is mm-hmm. like talking about how like he's back and like everyone's like Ben Affleck's back. And he's like, but they're not back. And then like, <laughs> like everyone's like saying they're pretty much like they're pretty much on for a Man of Steel 2. And then uh, like J.J. Abrams is probably going to do Man of Steel 2. But is he or is there going to be one? Is Henry Cavill coming back? He is going to come back. It's like... Jesus Christ, like, say what you would about Marvel, whether you think their films are bland or whatever, at least they're consistent, at least you know what you're getting, they've got a yeah. direction, they know where they're going, they're just they're just chasing the wind over there at Warner Brothers, and I think as soon as Zack Snyder's Justice League hits again, that's just going to be another gale force wind that's going to take them in a completely different direction, because they're going to be like, Jesus Christ, I didn't get how many it's going <laughs> to... I reckon it's going to do really well. I think people are going to say they like it even if they don't because it's a statement, but I think that people will like it generally anyway because I think it will be better than what we had before. So standards are also going to be very low. I feel like it's going to be a big success and they're just going to be like, oh, we're going to go in this direction now. And it's just, and like, but then they've already got films that are in production like Shazam 2. They've said that Black Adam's coming out. Like Shazam 2, Jenkins Aquaman 2, Black Adam, like, Wonder Woman 3. Those, those exactly. are, yeah. Which they've got to have the ball rolling for that. They must have had some sort of script right for like. So they're just they're just in a mess. So for me, I think they're in they're in real real um, stormy waters for me personally, and I it's it's going to be a it's going to be a tough ride. And because of that, I'm not really looking forward to what they're doing. I'm looking forward to Zack Snyder's Justice League, but anything outside of that, outside of that, I wasn't massively looking forward to it. But now that we've just seen a glimpse of maybe what they're wanting to go towards then um, they're not for me. I, I wasn't a massive fan of Aquaman personally. I really like Jason Momoa, and I think if they had anyone else playing that, the film wouldn't have been enjoyed by me at all. So I was they were already dabbling in areas I wasn't massively fond of. Birds of Prey, again, I didn't like, and now another film they've done, which is like, oh, Shazam's probably the only one of that um, after Snyder universe that I've I've enjoyed. Everything else has been pretty pretty rubbish in my opinion so I, I wasn't excited and now and now it's just confirmed it for me I, I'm I'm pretty much true on, on Marvel like and I, I feel like that's probably what Henry Cavill why Henry Cavill's pretty quiet to be honest I wouldn't be surprised if he is actually just done with it because it's a mess and he's a really like him and Ben Affleck are obviously very big actors they don't need DC they don't need DC they are doing fine by themselves and I think that why would you want to associate yourself with such a mess I just feel like, uh, yeah, DC's just lacking the the Kevin Feige leadership figure. That's guy that should guide the ship. And what's great about Marvel, and I know I'm a massive Marvel fan, and I'm like, but I feel like DC really needs that like that leader and that smart businessman that knows the comics and knows what stories he wants to tell. And but it also seems like Walter Hamada is more of a champion of the director's vision. Like, this just seems like a Patty Jenkins movie that she had free reign to do whatever she wanted. And it seems like that's kind of the direction they're going toward in their future slate. It doesn't feel like there's going to be any connectivity, except for, I guess, Flashpoint, which has everybody in it. (laughs) Oh, God, I forgot about that. Jesus. (laughs) That's that's Andy Muschietti, who did It 1 and Mm -hmm. Uh, 2. And that's bringing back Affleck, Keaton... And I heard a rumor about Bale. Like, I don't even know. Like, I have no idea what they're going toward. Because I know that James Gunn's 
the Suicide Squad that's coming out next year is going to be completely standalone. Jesus, I forgot about that as well. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, yeah that, that's going to be totally separate, a reboot, but also with the same But actors. also with the same actors. Same actors, yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, I, I'm curious... For what for what's to come, just based because I know that's what DC's goal is to make a director's each movie is going to be the director's movie. Like there's going to be very little crossover, it seems like. But I, I, in terms of the universe, it's in shambles. It's it's completely done. In yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. No, I I agree. I agree with you guys. I mean, Wonder Woman 1984 was more. It, it was more akin to Ryan Reynolds. Uh, uh, Green Lantern than it was with with any uh, anything else in the DCEU. It it was shockingly shockingly bad, um, and so uh, yeah, I think you guys nailed it, right? I I know I know I've been uh, I can be fairly critical of of the MCU, and I have been, but movies like this make me appreciate what Marvel has done with their movies so much more. And yeah, I mean, say what you will, they can be cookie cutter and there's, you know, a, a kind of a process that all the movies go to where they have, you know, kind of a similar feel and it doesn't really matter who's directing them. They're all kind of the same, but the continuity speaks for itself. And I think that, that the, because of that continuity, the MCU will stand the test of time and people will be able to go back and watch those movies uh, fondly and appreciate them and enjoy them over the years and years to come. Whereas, what DC has done with their universe, it is it is beyond salvageable in my opinion. And who knows what will happen because it seems it seems as though what is going on at Warner Brothers and what is happening at HBO Max are two different things. And it seems as though there are people making decisions separately. And so whether or not Zack Snyder's vision for the DC universe continues on HBO Max, I think that's still you know, we'll see what happens when the Snyder cut comes out, but um, there's no way, there's no way it's going to be brought back to film. And I think eventually soon, and especially if Matt Reeves, Batman does really well. Uh, they might just, just put a stop on, on all these other films. I mean, I just, it, it it's, it's so disjointed and, and so unrecognizable as, as a cohesive universe. I, I just, I just don't know what they're thinking. I really don't. And to, and to 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 contemplate that they actually thought that this was the good the good approach that this was going to be good is is mind-blowing. It really is mind-blowing. So oh, anyway, all right guys, do you guys want to give your DCU ranking and then we'll we'll end this podcast? Yeah, sure. Yeah, man. Sure. Okay, cool. Um I I've, I've got the list pulled up right here. I I should have I should have probably written this down, but uh, this is this is my list for my DCU ranking. I've got Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Wonder Woman, Shazam, Aquaman. Uh, I'll go Birds of Prey, Wonder Woman 1984. Oh no 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 hold on. I'll go Suicide Squad, Birds of Prey, Wonder Woman 1984, and then Justice League. That's my list right there. That is quite similar to mine. I'll go next. Okay, go ahead, Ray. Um, so Man is still number one. 
which is the same as you, you Andre, or mm-hmm. you versus Man of Steel, yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, Batman versus Superman, same as you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wonder Woman, yep. same as you. Same top three. Shazam, Shazam, same, yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Suicide Squad. Ooh, nice, uh, okay. That was my five. Um, Aquaman, after Suicide Squad, uh, Birds of Prey. Wonder Woman 84 and Justice League. I'm not calling it just it's the Justice League. It is it is Justice League, yeah. <laughs> okay, Brian. Very, very similar list. Number 1 Man of Steel, number 2 Batman vs Superman, number 3 Wonder Woman, number 4 Aquaman, mm. number 5 Shazam, number 6 Birds of Prey. Then I have Suicide Squad, then I have Wonder Woman 1984, then Justice League. <laughs> Well, our, our uh, the 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 bottom of this barrel was the same for all three of us. So, <laughs> yeah. oh, you guys, thank you so much. I, I, this was about an hour and a half recording time, so I appreciate you guys uh, taking your time out of your Sunday to to do this recording. But, uh, listeners, we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Um, you know, if you were a fan of Wonder Woman 1984, we hold nothing against you. We know that there are people out there that like this movie. That's fine. We just that we were not fans, and so. Um, we sure did love the 2017 film and I'll, you know, we'll revisit that, uh, every now and again, but, um, uh, Brian, thanks so much for joining us, man. It was a pleasure to have you on the podcast again. Why don't you go ahead and let the listeners know how they can reach out to you? Obviously you guys run a great Twitter account. Um, but yeah, let, let the listeners know how they can find you and, uh, follow you online. Uh, yeah, just at our movie news, uh, one on Twitter. That's it. Still haven't got your original handle back yet. Nope. Still delete. <laughs> oh, <man. Yeah. laughs> yeah. Listeners go, go and follow DR movie news on Twitter. They, they, they have incredible content really up to date with just a lot of the, you know, new announcements and things like that within movies. So, uh, love following you guys. It's always fun, but Rye, thanks for joining me, man. Appreciate it. I know it's getting late in the UK. Why don't you let the listeners know how they can follow you as well? Cheers, man. Always a pleasure to be on. Um, as always, it's Ryan from lifeoffilms.com. Um, yeah, so pop over and uh, read some stuff and get in touch. All right, everyone. Thanks again. And you guys, happy new year. Um, and until next time, uh, we'll see you guys at the movies. The Backseat Director's theme song is Let's Go to the Movies by Ozo Motley. You can find the album Ozo Motley Presents Ozo Kids and all of their other music on iTunes. Join the conversation online and follow Backseat Directors on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Questions and classics, documentaries, uh, so many options, so much variety. There's a perfect movie for you and him and her and me. Uh, So find your seat in the perfect row. Sit back, relax, kick up your feet, and turn off your phone.